Thanks for downloading episode 5 of School Assembly. I'm Zoe Kaskamanidis. In this series, we follow Principal Ray Boyd and Associate Principal Rachel Lair as they navigate the exciting and challenging journey of building a new school community from the ground up. Each month, we touch base for updates and reflections on their progress as their new school, Dayton Primary School, is built in the newly developing suburb of Dayton, located in the eastern metropolitan city of Swan in Perth, Western Australia. Last month, we spoke to Ray and Rachel about how they have connected with the community throughout the process of building up a new school. In this episode, we talk about the thought processes behind the physical build of the school, as well as the significance of the location itself. Let's jump in. Hi, Rachel and Ray. How are you both? Hey there. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So as always, before we jump into the episode, I wanted to take a look back at some of the big tasks you've undertaken over the past month since we spoke last. And firstly, on LinkedIn, I saw that the leadership team, along with a representative for the steering committee, uh, attended a presentation ceremony conducted at the Leadership Institute in Western Australia last week where you received a recognition certificate of Dayton as an independent public school. So congratulations on this really important recognition, which I know is really key to forming the school's identity and ethos. Thank you. That was one of the big ones we um, discussed during our communication cafe. So that was really good. It was good to get that across the board and officially recognised. We've been operating as one when it comes to staffing and a few things, but it's, it's nice to have that recognition and be able to share that with the community. Yeah, that's great. And Rachel, after you spoke a little last month about the upcoming recruitment of your education assistants, it was great to read a little more about your process using Lego Serious Play in the interview you did with our deputy editor, Rebecca Vukovic. And I'll link that in the podcast transcript for listeners to take a look at too. So you've obviously made huge strides in recruitment since we last spoke, and I wanted to check in about how you're going now with recruitment coming up to the end of the year. We Yeah, we certainly have, Zoe. So since we last spoke, we had our second Lego Serious Play session with Joel Birch, uh, and that was for our education assistants. We combined our mainstream and our special needs education assistants in that process uh, and brought them all in together. And then since then, we've actually now we've got three signed contracts for our mainstream education assistants to start the year with us. We haven't announced them out to the community yet, but they have signed on the dotted line. And then also Kathy, our um, MCS, our Manager of Corporate Services, has been working hard and recruiting around school officers and cleaners and a head cleaner. So we've had three other processes that uh, Kathy's been overseeing. So there's been lots going on in that space. That's fantastic. It's really great since speaking to you kind of at the beginning of all of this, um, just seeing, you know, the team evolve and develop and hearing about what you know, Kathy, for example, is doing in terms of recruitment and how you're working as a team around the thoughts around this is really exciting. Yeah, and uh, we've had we've had some complexities in our staffing um, because we've actually had a, a few te- teachers who had signed contracts and then off, were offered permanent positions in their current school or somewhere mm-hmm. that suited them better. So we've actually had to go through a few processes where we've had to put on another teacher. So uh, that added complexity. And then one of our teachers that we've got on permanently um, is pregnant. And so we're going to have to be fi- um, covering them fixed term from very early in the year. So um, nothing is ever as smooth as you imagine it to be, but we're certainly having lots of fun um, <laughs> in the process. And the good thing about having a team, um, 
I mean, it's a good thing and a complex thing at time. I managed and oversaw the the staffing one, Zoe, so I had access to that on our on Big Red Sky. Rachel was mm-hmm. doing the EAs, but then because we've got um, our MCS there, Kathleen, she was doing the doing is doing the school offices and our cleaners. So each of us has access to different things. So occasionally you go and look at something and go, oh, I don't have access to that one because it hasn't mm-hmm. been open yet. So, mm-hmm. so I was just jumping around and sharing that information. But it makes the workload a lot easier in that in that space as well because each of us, while we're all working on the staffing, each of us heads up those different variables, which makes mm. it so much easier. That's great. And the final thing we touched base on last month leads us quite nicely into the topic for this episode, which is about the physical build and location of the school. And Dayton is, of course, a new suburb, gazetted only 11 years ago in 2011. How has that impacted the development of the school and how has it impacted decision-making in other areas? Well, Dayton's been interesting because as a suburb, it was established before Brabham, which is the neighbouring suburb where we're located currently at Brabham Primary School. Mm -hmm. But Dayton has been a little bit slower to develop. um, And so there's a lot less in Dayton. There's not a lot of um, community services and, um, you know, restaurant shops or anything like that. And there was obviously no school. But this nearby suburb of Brabham has just really um, flourished and it's a huge growing area. So... Um, and on the other side, there's another suburb called Caversham, and that has actually um, gone um, quite far ahead with their development, and that has a school. So Dayton was sort of left behind. So I think it was really um, time for something to come to Dayton, and I know that um, families have really talked about how they're so happy to have a school in the area, and I think we'll become quite a um, community hub for the community because like there's not a lot there yet. Um, so that's an exciting aspect of it. And one of the things that it did, infl- when Rachel and I walked around in the early days and worked out, there's 900 homes here, we looked at Google Maps and looked at our intake area and then had to consider, all right, which of these can be developed? There's a lot of vineyards, so we wouldn't expect them to be ripped up at this point. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the reason we went for a teaching pool initially, because we could see that there was growth and development going on in the community. And we needed to be able to be proactive in that space rather than reactive so by setting up a pool early it enabled us to have staffing or a list of staff or a group of staff that we could draw on and we did the same with the education assistance and special needs so that was probably the biggest influence um, in terms of the build and everything else outside of that there's no impact in what's happening with the community other than getting feedback from the community and understanding that it may change as it goes but the biggest influence that it has had, as I mentioned, Zoe, was been on staffing and the way we structured our staff. Yeah, fantastic. I think it sounds like there's, like you said, some things that are quite different in starting up a school in a new suburb like this, but other things that, you know, kind of tick along as per usual. But I think uh, what you said there, Rachel, too, about the school becoming a bit of a hub, you know, in this new community and growing community is something really special, I think, about the context of your school and starting up your your school in this suburb. Um, and I can tell from previous conversations we've had that it does seem like the community really feel like this is something special to them as well. So it's really exciting. Can't wait to see it come to life next year too. Yeah, um, it's, it's actually a place to bring together the families because one of our um, family members on our steering committee has actually already gone on to the Dayton community Facebook and put up, you know, are you going to be going to Dayton Primary School next year? Let's meet at the local park before we go to school. So it's already started connect, 
connecting the families that may have not had any reason to meet together in the past, no, no mm. commonality. So before we've even opened, we've actually started to bring together some families and make those connections, which is awesome. You can't see, but right now I have a big smile on my face. It's really <laughs> lovely to hear. Um, and of course, there's so much planning you've already done around what kinds of features the school will have in terms of the build itself. So can you take me through what some of these features will be? Yeah, obviously one of the most striking features we'll have is as as you come in the main entrance um, will be our splashback, which Razor Eye is developing at the moment to go in our letterbox. So that'll be, the, that'll be the first introduction to the school. But once you step through the gate, there's a corridor that will have these artworks. And we've spoken about the artworks before, Zoe. We have these rather mm -hmm. striking artworks that are representative seeds, seed pods and the seasons um, as per the Aboriginal description of how they, they see the seasons in Western Australia. And then you go around the corner and that opens up into a rather large space, which has the, um, the play areas. And further on, you've got, then got another big uh, conversation stick, another striking piece of artwork, and that's before you get into the classrooms. But there's very much a flow through the school from when you come into the school to when you actually get to your classrooms. Mm, sounds incredible. And I read a statement you'd published a while ago on Schools Online page, I think it was a couple of months ago maybe, um, where you're talking about the planned indoor and outdoor learning spaces, describing them as being carefully designed to inspire connection, creativity and an appreciation of the natural environment. And Ray mentioned those outdoor sculptures and I've seen some photos of them, which I'll link in. I think you've posted them to social media as well. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's really exciting seeing that vision come to life. And I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about um, this particular vision in the build more broadly as well. Yeah, well, I can't. I'd love to take credit for that, but I can't. It was <laughs> uh, actually the brainchild brain of our landscape or the landscape designer who worked really closely with Christo. So the, the previous architect who since retired, um, Bruce Robinson and Andrew from Forescapes got together and they tried to create this uh, sense of seamlessness in moving from a classroom environment to an outdoor environment. The science area is probably the, the best example of that where science can be a very, out, I mean, all learning can be outdoors, but science can be a very outdoor type activity, particularly when you start to look in the biological fields. So that ability for the teacher to be able to move the kids from the classroom into a learning environment or into a space outside where they can access that. And the art area is the same. So we can actually move the kids from the art area out into this sort of outdoor classroom um, in the sense that it's got a loose wall, but then it, that extends and flows on out into the, the rest of the school. So mm. it gives this, this connection between outdoors. Uh, it's probably not dissimilar, Zoe, to when people say, oh, we've got a big window in our house or a, a bifolded door so you can open these doors and then the living becomes, you can't see where the outdoors and the indoors begins and ends. And that's the sort of feeling that the architect and the, the landscaper wanted. And fortunately for us, we've been able to tap into that and make use of it. And another aspect, Zoe, is the playgrounds. So whilst they do have, you know, the plastic and metal aspects, a lot of it is the natural timber and, you know, the really sort of earthy looking um, natural elements and I was really excited when we visited last time to discover they'd had to chop some trees down for whatever reason they were in the wrong place but what they've actually done is they've treated those trees and then they've put them around the school for the kids to climb on so there's sort of a lot of really natural rock and um, tree elements around in the play areas and it's sort of creating that um, 
space for the kids to take a bit of a safe risk in the playground and get out of their comfort zone a bit, which is really exciting. And mm. being a Morley out this way is very much, has always very much been bush. I mean, it's an old farm site that, that we're on. So it's really nice to, to feel that bush element that that's the environment that it's encapsulated within. So even if we move beyond the classroom and the school itself, there's this seamless connection between the open space next door and what is our school grounds. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Like drawing that connection back to the history of the land you're actually on, I think is really fantastic for, you know, just connecting to your environment, but also in terms of learning, like you've said, and we've, I know I've had conversations um, with people in the past about the benefits of outdoor learning for things like STEM. And there's a lot of research there too. So it sounds like you're really, yeah, hitting the nail on the head with a lot of the designs of the outdoor and indoor spaces. You've touched on something there too, Zoe. One of mm. our catchphrases is honouring the past and building a brighter future. So we're honouring the past of the area and that it's a bush area, but at the same time enabling kids to progress and move forward. So again, there's that strong sense of connection with everything that we do. Mm, absolutely. So last month, I remember you mentioned that you're about to meet with the education department's project manager at the building site to take a look at the buildings and to think about what the school grounds will look like as Dayton opens its doors to families next year. So what was it like to actually be back on site? And can you give our listeners a few maybe visual descriptions of what the build looks like in this point in time? Well, it was two things. It was both exciting and a little bit um, worrying, to say the least. <laughs> It was exciting because we'd seen a lot of progress. Um, it was, you know, the carpets were going in and fittings and, you know, things like air conditioning. So we could start to see it taking shape. But it's a little bit worrying because there's at least four buildings that aren't going to be done. So you're looking around and you've got a very clear construction site. So our concern now is, is what is going to be ready for us to take um, handover in and and when so there's still a lot to do unfortunately i mean peter hamilton talks about empowerment this locus of control so for us we've, we've walked around the site and gone this is wonderful there's so much to be done and then it's a matter of okay what can we actually focus on that mm. we have some control over we know our early childhood block will be it is finished um and they're just putting this, the final touches to that. So that's all ticky-boo, which is fantastic because our littlest charges will have a, a space there. But then mm -hmm. it's about us, okay, what have we got that we can control and work within? The library's a fallback for us. Um, we don't think it'll have to be used. But the chance to also see some of the other spaces being finished, like the paving, the front entrance. So there was a lot to celebrate. But as Rachel said, sitting in the back of your head, as you're just looking around going, oh, my God, there's still so much to be done. Yeah, I can imagine with everything going on, you know, that's kind of seems like maybe the anchor of it all, <laughs> you know, that you do need to have the buildings. And I remember last month as well, you were mentioning that you needed the space at least to sort of have um, a place to store the certain things that you were ordering in, like books and that sort of thing. So do you feel like you've got that kind of going on now? Like you've got a space to put things? We, we don't 
um, actually have a space, sorry, but it's been really good. So we've worked with um, a couple of key companies in terms of um, ordering resources and they've been really good. Um, like even our library books are being held by that company and they're just saying, you know, let us know when you're in. Um, our, all of our teaching and learning resources, we've gone with one main company so that they can just all come together on pallets. So we envisage a very frantic late January of unpacking <laughs> and getting everything. <laughs> Um, into the classes the department um, will be involved with the furniture so that's I believe already ready but it's a matter of when can we get it in and they'll be only bringing the furniture for the buildings that we have access to so there'll still be a lot in storage until we get handover of the remaining four buildings so we're just having to be a bit creative in terms of where we're putting um, our specialist classes like art and music and science and um, you know, it's not going to be ideal. Not everyone's going to have their own space, but hopefully it won't be very long until we have all the buildings and everyone can set up their own areas. And we've got this, as I said before, in a, a few episodes back, there's there's four other principals who are doing builds as well. So mm. we know we're ahead of, ahead of some, but we're behind others. But that network of principals, that enables us to have conversations and share our frustrations and our celebrations as well. So we're not unique in the situation we're going through. And there's a couple of builds I'm watching over East where they're having the same sort of situ same sort of dramas, but also going through the same processes of welcoming the community. So mm. it's interesting to see the complexities of other people's builds and realise that you're not alone. You're operating in the same space that many others are experiencing at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's so invaluable and you've talked about that before and I know um, looking at our podcast schedule, we've got an episode coming up on that actually down the track, so it'd be great to really delve into that a bit more as well. And so everyone working in education, I'm sure at the moment, is acutely aware of the end of the year fast approaching, like you've you've both said. So what will this mean uh, for the build in terms of everyone like going on leave or taking a break? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's business as usual. We'll just keep chopping through. There is what I tend to call, it's the tradies week. So from January the 1st or December the 31st until about January the 6th, most of the trades shut down. Um, so mm. I'm assuming that the same situation will happen on the bill. But I can only imagine, given the pace that, that Christo and the team out there in Mikorsky are working at, that they will just be going hell for leather. But from our perspective, most of my team, We'll probably take a week somewhere along the line. But as soon as we get the opportunity to get in, we're going to be in the, in the school. So I can't see it being a huge holiday break or much changing for us other than the, um, I don't think hecticity is actually a word, <laughs> but the hectic of the situation as we move closer to opening. But to be fair, we've had, um, I mean, there's been a lot to do this year, but there hasn't been that intensity that you get when you're running a school and you're in the school with the teachers and the students and the families. So, um, you know, the year has been at a, a lot um, slower pace than we would be within a school. So it, it, we probably... Um, it's time to get busy. We're actually happy to do it and our teachers are too. I think they're all just really itching to get into the school. They're obviously all in a position where they're finishing up in their current jobs and trying to sort all of the things out that they need to do to move schools. But I know that they'll all be really keen to get in. So I think they'll be happy to give up some of their summer holidays for that. And to be honest too, I'm, my core business is teaching and learning. I'm actually over the project. I just want to get into the classroom see the kids and see what the teachers are doing that that's that's what I'm in this gig for so it's just this is tiresome to some yeah. extent 
Why? It seems like a real electric mix of nerves and, you know, a different kind of, what was it, hecticity (laughs) (laughs) Um, compared to, you know, uh, what teachers and education staff are going through at schools at the moment too. But still, like, (laughs) you know, I can tell there's so much going on for you both. So it's really exciting to see that you've got such a great, passionate group of staff that you've got starting next year as well, reading about them, I think on LinkedIn is it Ray that you've been posting those staff profiles yeah link well everything I do the LinkedIn one Rachel um mm. tweaks a bit so it's a bit more friendly for Facebook and then mm. we put it out through Twitter so we just we're just sharing the qualifications and joy of our staff really yeah and you can see it's going to be a really great team so as we do in each episode to wrap up then let's jump into our monthly check-in so what's been your key learning biggest hurdle and proudest achievement over the past month Well, I was actually going to connect to what we've just been talking about, our proudest achievement. I mean, the proof will be in the pudding next year when we're all in the school, but I I have this very strong sense that we have put together an exceptional team of educators. Um, We've had a Zoom meeting recently and that's the only time we've all been in the same space. But I just, you know, there's just a great team of really um, experienced, knowledgeable, passionate educators who really just um, want to be there for the kids so I, I'm super excited about that I think we've done really well in bringing them all together as a team. I'm saying that in terms of proudest moment that's that um, it was only a small meeting on thing but people jumped in great just everyone's flat out in their schools because they've obviously all got positions at the moment so for them to take the time we had people dialing in on their phones I could see the phones while they're driving and they're talking so um, hands free of course so there's no illegality around that <laughs> everyone was everyone was jumping on board and it's like well that, that's wonderful there's everyone's flat out but they're still taking the time to connect with each other and, and see everyone and, and move forward yeah it's really telling and that kind of links to a key learning that ray and i discussed earlier this morning um we talk a lot obviously we've got a lot of time to talk as our team we've only got the team of four at the moment so that's ray myself Kathy and Lucinda um, but we've just talked a bit about that whole idea of creating a team and how important trust is and that concept of empowerment and we you know we we have to build a team where we trust everybody to do their job and to do it well and I think that's something that we've actually managed to do really well so it's also probably an achievement but also a key learning just how important trust is and this is going to progress next year when we bring on every teacher education assistant school officer everyone else to trust them um, and that trust goes both ways and Lucinda building on from that Rachel didn't mention it but, but her and I joked about it this morning we got Lucinda Dernan who's leading our early childhood development at the moment working with the MCS and they've just spent a substantial amount of money <laughs> I have no idea what that was spent on I'm just assume, I'm assuming and correctly assuming that it um, it was worthwhile and there's some meaning behind it but again that's that trust because that's mm. a fair chunk of budget that went on I don't know a trip to Bali probably but <laughs> <laughs> books and all sorts of things so they're just doing they're just doing their job they're getting on with it and I'm, we're staying out of it and the biggest hurdle we didn't discuss but it's not really a hurdle but it's just something that's been on my mind lately and I've talked about with Ray is just that consciousness 
that every single decision, even a small decision, holds so much weight right now mm. because it influences how Dayton Primary School will be established, the culture we build. Like So small decisions around resourcing, big decisions around staff, they're all going to impact what Dayton Primary School is like for the future. So you feel like the weight of that, it's a huge privilege, but it's also a very great responsibility. It's very much a case of the butterfly effect, that movie. So mm. we... we- have to be conscious of thinking how how's that going to play out down the line this decision that we make uh, and it, it's actually quite wearing after a while that thought that you have at the back of your mind are we getting this right and so we hope so and you know time will tell that's one of Ray's favorite sayings time will mm-hmm. tell definitely but we're hoping that we, we we've made those right decisions because like I said they will have a flow-on effect as to what Dayton primary school is like as a school and in the community And as I presented in a talk I did a while back as a keynote, one of the key things I said was excellence isn't an accident. So anything Mm. we get right here is a deliberate act, is a deliberate choice, a result of a deliberate choice. But there's the flip side of that too, is if there's a muck up, that wasn't an accident. We made a decision that had an impact on that. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, what's that saying about being retrospective? Hindsight is a wonderful thing. That's it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so we'll be taking a break now with our next episode to be released in the new year. But what's next for you both over the next month or two? Well, a a big rock for me that's something I've started working on is our, our sort of teaching and learning handbook, so to speak, putting together the expectations around the school for teaching and learning, the policies, the processes. We've been focusing on so many other things that that's just been sitting there in the background. So really getting onto that. Um, We've only met, like I said, with our staff via Zoom. So getting them together in person and starting some of our induction processes will be another important thing. Mm. And then at the end of the day, it's really all about getting into the school. And setting it up. (laughs) So. We just cannot wait for that to happen. So not sure when it will happen, but that will be our big thing over the next two months. We'll obviously be just setting up our school. Yeah, great. Very exciting stuff. Um, Well, it has been fantastic, as always, to talk to you, Rachel and Ray. Thank you for taking the time out. You're welcome. Thank you for speaking to us. Hopefully you do get that week or so in there to kind of unwind. (laughs) Yes, we will. We'll definitely make sure we do that. That's all for this episode of School Assembly. Thanks for listening. We're taking a small break in this podcast series over December and we'll be back for more in the new year. In the meantime, you can follow Ray and Rachel's socials for updates on their progress by following the links of the podcast transcript over on our website, teachermagazine.com. Before you go, it would be great if you could take just a few moments to give a rating of our podcast if you're listening to this audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're listening on the Spotify app, just click the three dots, then rate show. And if you're on the Apple Podcasts app, you'll find the rating section by scrolling to the bottom of our podcast channel page. On Apple Podcasts, you're also able to leave a short review for us. Leaving us a rating or a review helps more people like you to find our podcast and is a really big support for our team.